Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts and we have to work to finish off the stats I pay the most attention to with rookie evaluation per position series, I guess. Uh, it's the off season so I'm getting uh, some DMs about I'm available to do guest appearances so maybe we'll get uh, some guests on here pretty soon. I just updated the college database, which has stats for everyone, going back to 2000 from college, and I've started to do my rookie evaluation, rank rookies, uh, the wide receiver position at least, and uh, starting to dig into some of that stuff. So, you know, check check it out, I guess. Uh, but we're going to talk about tight ends and the metric stats or whatever that I pay the most attention to for that position while doing rookie evaluation for today. Like four four days late. I, I've been I've, I've been making a database. You're just gonna have to give me that one. All right, tight end. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the fear watchers and nerds all at once. I am one of those skeptical of status quo. Lazy and to the bone, no doubt about it. Sometimes I grind my Excel sheets Sometimes pour cold water on heat When the math's not adding up You said I'm checking out I'm just Welcome to the Okay, so if you're interested, since it is rookie season, the tight end that sticks out the most in the 2022 class so far is Trey McBride, and there's really not much competition in terms of college production. All right, so, well, what do I do with these things? All right, uh, stats and metrics I pay my, the most attention to, or I think are the best, I guess, uh, for the tight end position when you're trying to rank them, I guess. Um, outside of draft capital, especially since draft capital is so important and plays such a role in landing spot and all that stuff. Sorry, I'm tired. I basically haven't slept for three days. All right, where are we? Um, well, tight ends receiving production kind of profiles similar to wide receiver, except there's less stuff that helps you overall because tight ends are such a unique group. And basically, there's so few that hit, certainly in a significant way. Um, like Mike Gusecki's a really big hit. Like, he's been a top 12 tight end for at least two years. Like, that's that's pretty successful for any draft class. And he actually came from the same draft class that we got Mark Andrews. So, yeah, there's so few that actually hit the thresholds that I'm actually seeking that when you test things against, like, average points per game for tight end, um, it all tends to be a little bit more like the Wild West. There's less signal, there's more variance, the averages are a little more scattered, um, and it, it can be a little harder to read. Now... 
in one way that makes tight you can see that making tight end more difficult in another way it makes it more beneficial where there are so few unicorns that are that you're chasing that essentially you can be you can allow yourself a little more variance to read the situation and um, rather than having to be uh, stuck and um, with how well players compare to the past and what do I mean by that well essentially we get down to descriptive things that I would put in the descriptive category for other positions relatively quickly to the point they're mostly top tier stats or numbers for the tight end position whereas for running back and wide receiver and uh, we actually have things that uh, can take us past the descriptive stage um, and look at actually how well they compare on a performance basis. With tight end, things like height and weight really matter. And you go through BMI if you want, but since it's so useless, other places I just kind of like to ignore it. But tight ends that don't cross 250 pounds and around six foot three to six foot four, specifically in that range, and really don't meet the threshold to be of interest. Now, there are some borderline cases who had exceptional receiving production, like Kyle Pitts was borderline 250-64. Same with Mark Andrews, actually, since I just mentioned him. He was over those thresholds, but it was kind of borderline. Um, Now, if they're an excessively productive receiver, it's okay to have a little more variance around those two thresholds of 250 pounds and around 6 foot 4, um, especially have if they have a athletic metrics to go with it, because they're really down to the descriptive metrics for tight end. Now, are there ways you can profile receiving production to begin with? Yes, and that's actually where I begin, and why Trey McBride hits the top of my list so far, just as a quick quick glance ranking for the 2022 class. Now, obviously, I'm rolling stuff into a model, which I use as a starting point, and then I look for uh, exceptions and things that might be overly exaggerating their production. While there are no good team and conference scores at wide receiver or running back that accurately or more accurately judge a player's production, mostly because you'd be surprised, uh, or I'm constantly surprised, which team and conference accelerates and decelerates, are those the right words? We're using them, um, uh, the average uh, stat or any particular stat for a player. For example, if they're at a bad conference, you would expect them to have exaggerated stats in a positive manner. You're facing worse competition and therefore you have more yards per team pass attempt or you have a greater market share of receiving yards. Quite often, the opposite is true, where you have lower numbers on average for that team and for that conference, even for successful players from that team, because average, conference and stat adjustments don't work that's essentially part of why they don't work. Let's not dig into it too far. I don't want to get into this debate again. But it is fair to squint at players that are coming from lower drafted prospects, especially uh, lower drafted um, conferences, especially when we're looking at um, before the draft. Now, a lot of that draft capital is going to adjust for us, and then we have to squint to squint at players that are seem to be overdrafted based on their conference and try to decide if it's their receiving production actually justifying a higher draft pick than would typically come from this conference, or if it's a team essentially elbow-licking or navel-gazing in order to, you know, show they have the biggest scouting chops and maybe overdrafting uh, an erstwhile prospect like Hayden Hurst, who is actually not more productive as a receiver in college than Mike Andrews, and uh, Mike Andrews, and yet they took him significantly ahead of him in the NFL draft and drafted two. That was just weird. Anyway, 
So, um, again, I'm rolling it up into a model that I call the pre-draft score. That's essentially my single number stat of how productive a player was compared to past prospects that have gone on to be successful in the NFL and um, based on uh, the receiving production. Now, it it uses, as does my wide receiver model, it uses conference and team scores as well as overall age averages, but... Um, I like to think of it as rating their production as if they were playing all on the same team. Not essentially because that's what it was doing, but just because that's the best way I find to conceive of it. In that it's going to overrate players that are playing in easier, quote-unquote, situations. And that gives me more leeway to read the numbers more accurately, essentially. Alright, so I do the model, but again, you don't want to trust someone else's models necessarily. You want to get your own ver vision of how productive a player was, what stats work. Um, well, like with wide receiver, receiving yards per pass attempt tends to test the best, better than dominator or weighted dominator or dominator over average. It's just receiving yards per pass attempt that pretty much dominates ha um, judging of how productive a player was. Now, again, I like to look at it based on the team, the conference, and their age average of successful players into the NFL. But with tight end, as I already mentioned, there's a little more variance and the average is a little more spread out making it a little less trustable but uh, if I was going to pick out one it would be to look at the last year of a tight end's production rather than their best year their first year or their average I would look at a player's last year that's again partly a product of so such a small unicorn group that hit and so many tight ends take a weird path into the NFL that if you take their best year you're often cutting out um uh, a lot of players who only played uh, one year before entering the NFL and their last year um, doesn't profile as well against someone who played four years best year, if you know what I mean. So Jimmy Graham, uh, Antonio Gates, most of these players actually only played a limited sample size in college compared to wide receivers and compared to other prospects. Travis Kelsey and uh, um, Kyle Pitts, for example, actually played four college careers and they're kind of unique in the tight end hit group in that way. Most especially before um, recent hits, since 2018 or so, took a more circuitous or unusual route. I think that's because the tight end position has only started to become um, more valued in the NFL in general, and also uh, likely in college. I don't know anything about college football, though, so maybe not. Um, but yeah, uh, take the last year of players receiving yards per team pass attempt and look at it in relationship to the conference they were playing in. I actually have that rolled up into a single column in the database called efficiency score because at the time I thought I was creating a measure of how efficient a player was in their situation. But since then I've learned that receiving yards per team pass attempt really isn't an efficiency score. It's really efficiency weighted volume or some type of that. Um, so it's actually a volume metric with efficiency weighted in since it's a per stat. Again, I don't want to get into this debate. It's just very good. It's just very good, very simple, and we have you know, acres of public access to it because you can't really pay wall pass attempts and you can't really pay wall yards or games played. So we always have access to it, which is why it's one of the more attractive stats, especially if you're just mere grinders like us, not behind you know megalithic paywalls. So 
That's a stat that has the best R squared. If you were to rank players just by that stat, you'd get a pretty decent idea of how productive they were as a receiver in their situation, but it's not going to do a great job, especially if we're just ignoring draft capital, of deciding which player to rank ahead of which other player. So what do the stats work? Well, honestly, I immediately build in after looking at a stat like that, or the one you find particularly easy to read or particularly useful while profiling receiving production, with weight and height and it actually does a lot for you. For example, if we go back to the 2021 class, now I've got this ranked by my production model, which is heavily using receiving yards per team pass attempt in a player's final year, as opposed to wide receivers where you use their average and running backs where you use their best year. Tight ends, if you're just going to look at one year, I think look at their last year of production. But again, that's just the the results I have found um, to work best for myself you can always go and look and find that you prefer the average. The average is pretty good. The best year is pretty good since it's waiting in. Since a lot of players only play one year like Jimmy Graham, uh, again, I have a best year. It's just also their last year, for example. But anyway, so if we go back to 2011, Kyle Pitts stands out head and shoulders above everyone else. He's like the 99th point one percentile and I don't know why I pretend having a percentile score on my model is worth it but I do because people like to say the word percentile um, and he stands out significant deviations above the nearest uh, receiving production score or pre-draft model score of anyone else in the class. Next was uh, Brevin Jordan, next was Kyle Kohler who someone recently asked if I was going to add to the 2022 class so it turns out I had him mislabeled as a player who got undrafted last year and I will fix that in the next update I swear, as soon as, soon as I get a nap in. Um, and next is Pat Ferrymuth. Now, obviously, that sounds like you killed it, apart from Brevin Jordan, who got fifth-round draft capital, and Pat Ferrymuth got second-round draft capital. It must have been very easy to see Kyle Pitts, Pat Ferrymuth. Yeah, it was, if you're only looking at this class. But again, if you dig back through and look at a wider sample than just last year, my pre-draft model for tight ends is much like my pre-draft model for running backs. I like to use it as a guide. And in fact, increasingly, I do this at wide receiver as well. But it's really just a measure of production sans context um, or without context for where they were playing or who they were playing with or anything else. Um, and if you dig back through the classes, it doesn't do such a good job. In the same way that if you just rank or filter the columns by receiving yards per team pass spent over efficiency, it's going to have a pretty good R-squared score. In fact, the best R-squared score I've found to points per game in the NFL through the first three seasons. But you're going to find some big clunkers and you're going to find it, or you should find it, very difficult to trust in terms of creating a ranking for yourself. So after getting a decent idea of how productive a player is as a receiver, I heavily weight in size. For example, without draft capital, here's something that sticks out about Brevin Jordan. He's undersized. He's one of those fringe cases who is definitely a productive, wide, uh, productive receiver. Um, in the NFL, but he was only uh, 247 pounds. I don't know it seems so stingy to be like that with that 250 boundary, but that's kind of where you end up uh, coming from. And he was 75 inches tall, which is slightly below the 76 inches, which is where you get to the um, 6364 boundary. So he was slightly undersized. That didn't make him a bad prospect, but it did put him in the uh, Gerald Everett category. This productive receiver who's almost big enough uh, and got some draft capital in the end, but even without draft capital, um, but he's a little bit undersized. And it's in fact Pat Ferramuth, who's the next guy with decent production, who is 251 pounds and 77 inches tall, well over, uh, or at least 
significant, at least over um, those generic boundaries of 250 pounds and six foot four, who stands out. Now, Kyle Pitts, like I said, is actually a fringe case. 245 pounds and 78 inches tall so he's tall enough but not quite heavy enough and that's where someone's going to try and convince you BMI does it ultimately just knowing generally that both Brevin Jordan and Kyle Pitts were a little undersized but Kyle Pitts receiving production was significantly once weighted in my production model above average and I think gives you a fairer view of how to start ranking players. It's not the end of it, but it's how you get to Kyle Pitts 1 and Pat Ferramuth 2 last year, with Brevin Jordan being an interesting tight end 3 to me. Because, you know, Gerald Everett's actually done stuff in the NFL, and despite being a little undersized, he was still a pretty good receiver. In fact, the next good receiver um, in this class in terms of overall production. And in fact, when I dig back into Brevin Jordan, I found he was actually a larger part of the receiving core of his team than Kyle Pitts was in terms of overall market share. It was a smaller market, as it were. There were less receiving yards, and that's why Brevin Jordan had less receiving yards than Kyle Pitts, but he was actually a larger receiver in terms of percentage of the offense and Kyle Pitts, which was actually impressive. But it was really only a less productive receiver with undersized production, and then eventually with less draft capital, which really allowed me to get take my foot off the gas as the wide receiver three um, for Brevin Jordan and how I managed to get Pat Ferramoth into the tight end two. Uh, I keep saying wide receiver, and that's another debate, but let's not do it. Uh, position. Does this always work so well? No. Tight ends are easier because there's less to trust, but also harder because there's less to trust and less to really throw your weight behind. For example, in bad classes or classes that turn out to have been bad, and a lot of times we have a pretty good idea of if there are a lot of good receivers and a lot of good prospects, in part, if nothing else, because of draft capital, um, but it can be a little harder. For the 2020 class itself the year before last year I had Harrison Bryant, Hunter Bryant, Bryson Hopkins, Jacob Breland, Thedarius Moss, CJ O'Grady above Cole Commit. Now Cole Commit is one of the few on that list that actually crossed the 250 and 6 foot 4 threshold but he's not the only one and he ranks lower than them in the pre-draft production score model overall. He actually ranks above them in receiving yards per attempt in his final year above the conference average which is where a stat like that can actually help you out as well but it would be uh, a lie outright to say and therefore you know sometimes to filter by pre-draft score or receiving production overall and sometimes you know to filter by receiving yards above conference and then just filter by I didn't know that. In fact, draft capital and also the reviews from film of Cole Commit overall will help me get Cole Commit higher in my rankings, which is why increasingly with rookie evaluations, I get a decent idea and I'm very, very open to other people's information. I don't think, especially at a position like tight end or quarterback, that there's really a way to create a model or look at a number to purely rank players. You have to take in as much information as possible and allow it to weight your um, decision and who to rank or who to like most in a class. But ultimately, that's my tight end process. One, get a decent idea of how productive they were compared to past players 
I've got a model for it. You can also just look at receiving yards per team pass attempt. I recommend looking at their last year compared to other players last year. Or um, you can look at it how it compares to their conference average because there's significantly different conference averages. And that actually still has a, a... It's a decent adjustment for tight end when you look at their conference average. I know. I, we should probably have the conference discussion at some point, but we're not doing it right now. All right, and that's tight end. And then, are they big enough? Are they tall enough? With allowances around the boundary, because there are enough unicorns like Pitts, um, like Evan Ingram, honestly, who are borderline over 250, borderline over six foot four, but have incredible receiving production, that you can squint at them, like with Brevin Jordan. But if there's another player who's productive or more productive, you can feel free, or I feel free to rank them ahead of them. And then if draft capital doesn't ensue, like with Brevin Jordan, you can feel free to, or I feel free to think of them as a different tier entirely. And that's it. That's my tight end process. It's, are they big enough? Were they a decent receiver? Um, and then draft capital. Now, weighted over all of this is tight ends are the one area where combine scores don't matter, but they matter. Now, I don't care if you're using Spark score or Freak score or whatever else, but getting an idea of how athletic and big, like the weight and height uh, metrics, a tight end is, is essential at the tight end position. Now, there are... Um, Mike Gusecki's guys who perform exponentially well at the Combine, but don't seem to have the athleticism built into the way they play, which is also part of how the Combine can mislead us on players and why Combine-adjusted, weight-adjusted Spark, QX, Nike scores are never actually going to work for us in terms of being a good ranking system, but they can be a good, uh, and they are very good, um, feature to put on what you are going to end up thinking about a tight end. Part of the profile, part of the way you rank a player should include, is this person a very athletic um, individual? Now again, Mike Gusecki's and also Jason Witten's, guys who aren't particularly athletic, but are exceptionally good at playing the tight end position, still occur. As with wide receiver, often it's just what you can do with what you have. But... And because there are so few uh, players, especially that cross those size and height thresholds, and especially that have production, and then especially that have, you know, top five, top two, Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham, and that's basically the list um, in the last 10 years, um, fantasy production that matters, it is notable all of them are plus athletes um, relative even to the position of those huge, humongous guys. Again, though, it is notable because I think if we get a decent enough sample size, there will be a lot more Jason Wittens and a lot more Mike Gusecki's, guys who underperform great athleticism and overperform poor athleticism, that that combine signal would drop out. But we've got what we've got, and it's not like I'm making an anti-combine matrix arguments because I just hate athleticism and I want the combine not to work. If it works, it works. And with the tight end position, it actually does work for what we have right now. For example, just looking at something simple like the 40 time, like we talked about in the wide receiver episode, if you're over the average 40 time or you have a better 40 time and then average, you actually hit a very marginally different rate than players who are drafted uh, within the first three rounds with a, a 40 time below the average and so otherwise a bad or a worse 40 time but with the tight end position 
the difference in hit rate between the over and under groups is actually significant. It's actually very close to the difference between the hit rates of players who have different breakout ages at wide receiver, which is where I said that's where you can say that the see that the significance of the age in which you produce actually does matter and breakout age is a good indicator. Now, a breakout age at wide receiver, about 51% of players with quote-unquote good breakout ages hit. It's not great, but it's over 50%, and that's actually pretty neat. Those with breakout ages under, or so in other words, have bad breakout ages, hit 35% of the time. Now, again, that does mean 35% of players who break out over 20 hit. It's a little bit of a weird metric. We're just looking at the average of 20.6 in decimal age. So there's a 20% or 25% difference um, between the, the good group and the bad group. Now, again, that's why breakout age is a good indicator, but not in and of itself the way to rank a class or uh, wide receivers in general. But that's what a significant difference in hit rate looks or disproportional hit rate looks like once they have draft capital. Now, with everything else, you're looking at like a 5 a 2 or 3% difference between the over and under groups. Now, in tight end, however, when we get to combine metrics, 62% of players with a quote-unquote bad or worse 40 time hit and 71% of players with a good or better 40 time actually hit so it's not the 20% difference of breakout age at wide receiver but it is 10% plus disproportional representation in the sample and that's just looking at something like 40 time if we scan over to something that's even a little bit better like hard adjusted speed score which I find a little better than weight adjusted speed score but you know whatever floats your boat, to be honest with you, is what kind of the way I play metrics these days. And 76% of players with a good or better height-adjusted speed score hit in the NFL once draft capital is known and the draft in the first three rounds, whereas 60% hit um, with a bad or a below-average height-adjusted speed score, which, again, is a 16% difference. We're already seeing that uh, disproportional rate increase just with a simple uh, athleticism adjustment like height-adjusted speed score. It's actually similar weight-adjusted, but this is one of the reasons I prefer height-adjusted because 74% hit in the uh, good group and 61% hit in the bad group for weight-adjusted speed score. So there's only a difference of, like, uh, what is that, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, percent instead of 16 percent with height adjusted speed score now it's also worth noting with combine metrics like spark and everything else that um especially if you want to calculate yourself i actually used a version called spork which josh hermsmeyer created which is basically backtracking the spark x score to find a way of calculating it because the formula is actually quote-unquote secret and proprietary so spork isn't proprietary but he found a way but you basically have to know every combine stat for them including the inches of their arm length and everything else and where most players don't do every combine drill and in fact increasingly fewer players do the majority of combine drills you actually have a lot of spark scores and height adjusted weight adjusted speed scores produce a zero result unless you just take the average but in which case you're not actually looking at athleticism metric of that player you're actually adjusting it by the class which i actually think is an interesting way of doing it i have a gronk scale which adjusts players um uh athleticism or combine metrics by how similar they are to gronk literally that's the way my combine metrics work i pick the example of a player that we want at each position and compare their combine metrics directly to that player's metrics because i mean why why beat about a bush with it that's what we're doing with the combine please look like calvin johnson please look like gronk 
please look like Ladanian Tomlinson. In my opinion, that's what, honestly what we're trying to do. Where it has less signal, I just had some fun with it. Now, unfortunately, even with that, most players don't get uh, uh, measured in height or weight, or they don't do it at the combine, they do it at the pro day. And so, especially with tight end, it can be tough to get an idea of their adjusted athleticism, especially in recent years, especially with COVID and the restrictions around, you know, people meeting in group places. And last year's combine was kind of uh, even more of a joke than usual. However, you will find, or you will have sites or measurements that you like to check, or you can find either on player profile or DLF or or, uh, fantasy football outsiders that give you a you feel a decent measure of how athletic this player is compared to past players i would put the big asterisks on which is whenever we get a sample size as big as wide receiver for tight end hits so in about another 200 years probably i think that signal will drop off because we see too many jason wittens too many mike gasekis to know that a similar thing isn't happen it's more about what you can do with what you have but again, of the group we have that in the hits right now, all of them are plus-level athletes. And so it would be ridiculous just to ignore the fact that plus-level athletes matter. And just note that Mike Gusecki is a plus-level athlete who doesn't really perform like a plus-level athlete on the field, who was a decent receiver, but not nearly as decent as Mark Andrews or even Hayden Hurst. But he got elevated by draft capital, likely because of the combine. And that's kind of how I hit on him. He's a good receiver, not great, not exceptional, like uh, Kyle Pitts or even uh, Jordan Reed's uh, receiving profile pops off the page. But um, he fit the height metrics. He had draft capital eventually. And we knew him to be at least a combined performer in athleticism. So there is a strong asterisk here in that we're probably taking some false signal. But there's only so much signal, so why not take it? Um, and then, you know, worry about tight ends mostly in their sophomore season. Don't worry about uh, overly um, about uh, first-year tight ends. Having said that, back in 2018, because there, it was a class with so few high-rated prospects, it was a good idea to draft Mark Andrews, for example, in the second round. And tight end shots in rookie drafts can work out. You really just have to get a good grip of what this class is and if that kind of a long-term uh, investment or a long-term arc uh, like a tight end career is really worth taking or just trying to pay a little bit more for next year after someone else has carried them on their rookie risk, uh, on their roster. Again, Carl Pitts and Mark uh, Evan Ingram um, hit the hardest at tight end that I've ever seen and both were kind of disappointing in terms of production that year. It's not that Kyle Pitts is cheaper right now, for sure not, but I think his price has come somewhat to meet his value, in that even after like the most amazing rookie tight end year, and everyone knowing for sure touchdowns will come, he's already got the yards, I don't think it's harder to purchase him or trade for him in a dynasty league. Was it easier to draft him with a rookie pick? Yeah, yeah. Definitely, he, he, and therefore we can draft tight ends earlier in the same way that Mark Andrews was of decent, quote-unquote, reach in the second round of drafts in his class, in, in his year. So, yeah, we can make those adjustments, but again, my standard rule of I'm mostly worried about tight ends from last year, if I'm looking to add tight ends to my roster this year, uh, it still largely works, and I still kind of like at least keeping it in mind. So, yeah. That's tight ends and rookies and the numbers that I look like. There were like three. Yeah, there were like three and two of them for the combine. Wow.
I've changed. <laughs> anyway, um, sorry this episode's late. Hope you liked it, I guess. And also check out the Rookie Database. It's free. And uh, make up your own mind. Ask me some questions about some of the stats in the Titan tab. And uh, maybe you'll find something better. Or something that works better for you. It's actually in a Spaces. Don't know why I'm continuing the episode at this point. But apparently there's a thing on Twitter called Spaces. Where people talk. Like it's a phone conversation. But someone was asking about which metrics. And one of the things I thought to say to him. And I actually took it away from myself. Was it's okay to find something you feel you're particularly good at understanding. And just use that. If you're particularly good. Or you feel particularly comfortable with understanding market share or receiving yards. Or yards per team pass attempt. Or dominator rating. If it just makes sense. And you, after practice and class after class, just have a good sense that you are fairly uh, accurate or fairly good at reading whether a dominated rating is inflated or market share receiving yards is positive, then it's okay to find a stat that you feel comfortable with, that you understand, that you know when it's good and know when it's bad, and just use that. Highest R-squared scores are all cool for nerds, but ultimately we're just trying to find something to give ourselves a good indication of if a player was decent in college compares well to past players and if one stat over the other or several stats works well for you that's okay higher s square scores are great for the nerds and models but if you have better luck just using one thing that isn't normally in the most hottest newest model of model that's okay too you're just looking for a good sense of if they were productive and how well they compare to past players and then read the landing spot and team so, yeah, do that with tight end as well, I guess. Anyway, I'm getting out of here. Hope you had a great J- January 12th. And uh, I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks very much. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play it unfold. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight. Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more. Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars. Dropping bombs without no borders, they got that eye like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.